Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. Good morning, and welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Weiner. My associate, Cole Pickett, is on the show today. Rachel is still raising her newborn, Eli, and uh, we're, we're glad that you're tuned in today. Uh, thank you for your patience. For some people, we had a little technical dif- difficulty before we went live. We really appreciate you uh, tuning in today. And today's topic is policy design. It is a topic that uh, can be somewhat controversial for some people because they believe that uh, there are some people out there who believe there's only one policy design. The Nelson Nash Institute has policy design guidelines. And contrary to popular belief, there is not just one way of doing it. Although uh, within the guidelines, we do believe that there are really some essential things that you need to talk to clients about, both about the pros and cons of the um, the policy design. And I would say that what's most important is not so much policy design is actually getting started with saving your money in a whole life insurance contract. I don't know how many times that people have said to me, man, I wish I would have known this a long, long time ago. And I'm actually uh, walking proof that policy design does not actually make a heck of a lot of difference in the long run because my father took a whole life policy out on me when I was born in 1963 and handed it over to me um, when I got married. And we actually used that to actually put the first down payment on our house in 1987. And that is an important lesson because my father didn't know anything about policy design. Um, I'm I'm sure that he just said to the agent, hey, I'd like to save $25 a month for my son. And it wasn't all based policy. And so by the time I used it, it, it was already exceeding the premium amount. So it was just an accumulation of cash. And Nelson used to say this all the time, your capital has to lay somewhere and everybody has a need for banking. So I think I'm going to start out with re- reminding everybody the five tenets of Nelson's teaching. Number one is to think long-term. Number two is to don't be afraid to capitalize. Number three is don't steal the peas. In other words, pay the loans back. Number four, maybe the most important thing that we were talking about today is you finance everything. So yes, there's some policies designed for you that may be more advantageous as long as you know the pros and cons, but you you finance everything. You either give up interest or you pay interest. And then the final thing is you need to rethink your thinking. And what he means by that is that Banking is, is the most profitable thing in the, in the world. Um, and if, if you don't believe that, then just go and look at all the banks on every street corner and people are getting into banking. So if you can take the banking function into your life, I think it's very, very important for you as far as any of your financial goals. So Cole, um, why don't we start with any kind of thoughts you have from the many meetings that you've been on for the last almost three years now? And um, when people bring up policy design, what do you think and what are the most common questions that people ask? Yeah. So whenever we present some illustrations to prospects, a lot of the questions um, reside in the illustration page where it shows your amount of premium in, um, the cash value available to you, and the death benefit. Um, Obviously, this shows out till you're 121. And most people generally look at the first couple of lines, and then maybe we'll look 20 or 30 years down the road. So a lot, a lot of the questions we receive are, why is there so much um, lack of liquidity in the early years? 
Um, they many people know term term insurance, and term is a a component of um, the IBC design. And so many people ask why you know why a thirty year term versus a fifteen year term, and the advantages and pros and cons to those. But many people um, look at this as an investment, which we which we claim you shouldn't. It should be more of a savings vehicle. But a lot of the questions, like I was saying earlier, was um, the lack of liquidity and why why that is a thing. So if, maybe if you could touch on that and why it is actually a good thing um, for later for later years in the policy. Yeah, what's interesting is, uh, you know, I I've mentioned this on many occasions. I'm also a financial advisor, and we talk about uh, three different things when you're trying to decide where to put your money, and that's safety, liquidity, and growth. And you can't get all three things um, with any one financial instrument. So let's just let's just review this a little bit. Let's think about uh, a regular bank savings account. Is it safe? Yes. Uh, is it liquid? Yes. Does it grow? Well, now we're starting to get some growth, but it's still having anything over one percent is not that great. So now let's go uh, to a CD at a bank. Is it safe? Yes. Does it grow? Well, it grows more than the savings account. And why does it grow more than the savings account? Because it doesn't have the same liquidity. You have to choose your liquidity options. And the longer the the lack of liquidity, like a five-year CD will pay more than a three-month CD. And that's called that's called a premium liquidity. So the so if you have less liquidity, you get more premium on the uh, growth side. So let's think of your home uh, or any real estate. Is it safe? Well, 2008, our mortgage crisis actually showed that it's not completely safe. And you could actually have things around your home that can affect the safety. Uh, people protest all the time if they're going to put in a retail area, a major highway, a major commercial building, so on and so forth. So that's that you could say that there's a lack of safety there. Is it liquid? Well, the only way it's liquid is if you get if you try to get permission to pull the money back out by actually refinancing or taking a home equity line of credit. And does it grow? Well, historically it does grow. Now finally, let's take a, a, some kind of investment like a stock. Is it safe? Well, we know not. No, it's not safe. Is it liquid? Yes, you could sell it the next day. And does it grow? Well, over the long term, uh, the indexes do grow, and most stocks do grow also. So now let's talk about a whole life contract. Is it safe? Yes. I tell people all the time, if you can use the word guarantee in a financial product, then it has been vetted by an army of lawyers for you to be able to say that. So yes, it's safe. Um, Is it liquid? There is some lack of liquidity for that. And does it grow over the long run? Yes, it does grow. Um, and remember, this is not an investment, so it's a different type of growth. So you should be, should be comparing it to the bank's growth. The difference is this growth, even if it's a little bit better than the bank's, is a lot better for you because it grows tax-deferred and you can access it tax-free. So the tax-equivalent growth is a lot greater. So when you're coming into policy design, you have to understand that there will be a lack of liquidity. So I prepared a couple of things to show today, and and we will talk through this with our listeners. Um, And if you want to then go to our YouTube channel, you could go to our YouTube channel and watch the video, but I'll I'll attempt to talk through this uh, for the people on the podcast. And and while you're pulling that up, Bruce, uh, Fritz actually um, chatted in on YouTube. They were saying um, if people could understand the power of the lack of liquidity in the early years, it wouldn't be a barrier if you're a long-term thinker. They were saying in their country, the cash value doesn't even, seems like it doesn't even become available until the seventh year. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, Fritz, where, where you're actually located at. Because that is a, um, if people could think about it, not even using the cash within the first couple of years, seems as though the long, the long-term um, life of the policy would, would probably be, would probably be better. 
Well, it's not only it's not only the you know the thing about it is we always talk about the potential is better. Um, we don't know what's going to happen over thirty years. We have some historical reference to it. Um, actually, we're thinking it's going to be even better going forward because we anybody that's getting a policy right now, you're getting in, you're getting it based upon low interest rate environments of the last ten or twelve years, and now they're starting to come up. And so what's interesting about that is in everything you do, lack of liquidity gives you a premium somewhere in a product. So what does the lack of, lack of liquidity in a whole life uh, get you? Well, one thing it gets you is it gets you a higher uh, death benefit because the base has a higher death benefit, but less liquidity. Now, maybe some people say, well, wait a minute, I thought this wasn't about the death benefit. And Nelson actually says that your, your need for financing is greater than your need for a death benefit. He did not say, though, that there's no need for a death benefit. He's just trying to tell a person, hey, your need for financing is actually greater than your need for a death benefit. So you ought to concentrate on the financing. Um, so this lack of liquidity gives you a greater death benefit, which in turn gives you, gives you a higher dividend. Now, there is increased uh, cost of insurance that could offset that dividend. But remember, the, the contract's uh, base death benefit is set at your age, but dividends will increase or decrease along the way. Now, because we are in the lowest, we're just coming out of the lowest sustainable in, in organized history of interest rates. I'm not saying that they haven't been lower. I'm talking about how they were sustained low in a low in interest rate environment for 12 years. Dividends have been the lowest sustained they have been over that course of history also. So now you will actually get a premium going forward if interest rates even normalize because now you've built it with a higher base the higher base is a higher death benefit higher death benefit is part of the calculations for the dividend so remember i said i understand that there's going to be more cost for a higher death benefit but that cost is going to stay the same over the lifetime of the contract but the dividends will not they will actually go up in a higher interest rate environment so you kind of get best of both worlds. So as I have on the screen right now, I have a client of ours in uh, Ohio, and he decided to do a $100,000 premium. And we actually attached a 20-year term. So, the, so what you have to understand is there's three components to a properly designed contract. One base. Base is traditional or ordinary whole life contracted death benefits. So that is the, just think of that as the foundation or the base of the contract, what you build everything else on. Number two, it, in order to the, accelerate the cash value to a certain extent, you are going to need to follow the modified endowment contract rules that are set up by the IRS and it's called a seven pay test. So they have a one year rule and a seven, uh, a seven year rule. And if there's any material change in the contract, then it starts over. So then that is why you can then add a term writer to the contract. And what that term writer will do is it will actually boost, it will actually boost um, the the death benefit to a point now that you can actually put more cash value than the base into the contract in the form of PUAs. And I tell people all the time, do not overthink this. PUAs stand for paid up additional insurance. What does it mean by paid up? It's exactly what it says. It's like a mini contract within the contract or a mini contract attached to the contract. And you get to decide uh, 
when you would like to do that. It's, it's optional. You don't have to do it. However, if you go through the proper vetting process, then you actually know pr- with pretty much certainty going forward how much additional cash you will have. So you don't, you're not afraid to capitalize. You're not afraid to put your cash into the contract because you're thinking long term. So the base contract is the ordinary life insurance or traditional life insurance contract. The term is only on for a certain time with the companies we work with. There's seven years, there's 10 years, there's 15 years, 20 years, 30 year terms. And that is just like you've always heard about term. You're just renting that for a certain amount of time period. And then finally, the paid up additional is kind of the supercharger to the contract's cash value where you're going to get additional life insurance contracts, many paid up life insurance contracts that are attached to the original contract. Think of it like this. You can take whatever that is, according to the modified endowment contract, let's just say it's $10,000. You go to an insurance company and you say, I have $10,000. I do not want to make any more payments for the rest of my life. And they say, well, $10,000 will get you X amount of life insurance that is based upon your age at that time. So, and you don't have to pay any more. So it's paid up. So when it's paid up, then obviously you can borrow against it. All right. Cole, anything as I was talking that came up on any of the social media or any of your thoughts? Um, Nope, nothing on the social media end. I would just say before you get into the the illustration, exactly like what what percentage base to um, PUAs this this illustration is, and then yeah, I thought yeah. you did a really good job of explaining the the three components. Okay, great, thank you. Um, the first thing before I scroll down, this particular person was fifty two when he took out the contract, and at the end of the first year. They're predicting with pretty good certainty. Uh, I found it always with be with being a couple of dollars of what they predicted that his hundred thousand dollar contract is going to have an annual dividend of ten thousand nine hundred twenty seven dollars, and he will have a cash value of sixty six thousand dollars, or about sixty six percent liquidity at the end of the first year. Okay. So to just remember those numbers, 10,927 on that 100,000 of contract premium. We decided to fund this for 20 years using a 20-year term. And that term is actually convertible at any time but before age 65. And what I mean by that is you could actually convert whatever the term amount is or uh, even a partial amount to a new whole life contract in the future without any medical underwriting. And it will actually fall off of this contract and you can start another contract. The advantage of that is as you increase your earning power going along the way, you can only put so much into this contract because of the modified endowment contract IRS rules. So one way of getting around that is you can actually convert your term policy down the road. And the great thing about it is conversion is automatic and without medical underwriting. So if you actually had any illness that developed, they can't stop you from doing it. So it's a nice part of the contract. Okay, so now we're gonna go down further to the design page. And this particular base policy was $40,000 of the $100,000. So I know people say it differently out there. You know, people say 1090, 2080, 3070, uh, 4060, 5050, so on and so forth. We believe because the base is actually required in the contract that you shouldn't mention the base percentage first because some people out there actually do it the exact opposite. They say 
so on and so forth. I don't know why they do it like that. Maybe I'm uh, wrong in the way I'm thinking, but I believe most people in the NANI community actually mention the base policy first. So this is a $40,000 base policy that is covering $663,567 of of life insurance for the rest of this person's life. Now, he wanted to put additional money into this. So the actuaries followed the modified endowment contract seven pay rules and said, if you want to do that, then you actually have to have an additional $575,000 at a term cost of $2,340.25 per year, okay? Now, I know there's people out there that are thinking, man, that seems expensive. And it is a little more expensive than you can get on the open market. But remember, this is a male. They're 52 years old. So they are closer to mortality. And this is convertible. So the convertibility option actually increases cost because you can convert it no matter what your medical underwriting is. So uh, Don Vogel just said convertible term is is wonderful. I got a 20-year CT uh, convertible term, and I was so glad I was financially able to convert it to whole life before the policy expired and before my mom graduated. Oh, I can already tell Don's a uh, a fan of the NNI Institute because that's what that is what Nelson used to always say about a person. He was a very religious man, but he would always say instead of dying or dead, you died or you you were dead. He would just say you graduated from this earth uh, to the kingdom of God. So uh, thank you, Don, for commenting on that. I agree. We just converted one of my wife's policies, and we're going to talk about that here in just a, a second. When when I say just converted. We did it about two and a half. It'll be three years this December. So the, the final part, so we have 40,000 going into the base out of the 100,000, 23, 40, 25 going into the term of 575,000. Now, as I said, that might seem a little high, but the reason it's high is because you get an additional feature. It's like adding, it's like adding features to your car. It's going gonna, it's gonna to cost more for you. The greatest feature of this is that there's no medical underwriting. And the, and the thing, the reason that's advantageous to the contract is that you're able to have this not only grow tax deferred, but then you can actually access it tax-free. Because if you mech the policy or where it becomes a modified endowment contract, where the IRS no longer considers this an insurance product, they're actually considered an investment product. Even if you take a loan against your cash value, that is taxable. Where normally a loan is not a taxable event, it is a taxable event in that case. The final part is the level premium paid up additions rider. And this is where you are allowed to put more additional uh, paid up insurance into the contract. And in this case, uh, this particular client is able to put $57,659.75 up to that number every year. They can put less less than that. If they put less than that in this particular company's case, and most of them have, have, well, not most of them, every one of them that I know of have these types of rules where in the first seven years or first 10 years, depending on the company, they will say that you are limited to how much you can miss and then catch up. There, are, there is actually a company out there that I know of that if you don't fully fund the PUAs, you cannot catch up. But this particular company, what I mean by catch up is let's say Dave, in this case, only put in 50000 and he could have put in 57000 Then next year, he can put in this $50,000 and change, plus he can catch up from the previous years of $7,000 that he didn't put in, and so on and so forth. 
Heck, he can even he can even wait a, a couple of years. But once the seventh year hits, and now we have a new seven pay test, then the only PUAs that you can put in is whatever PUA you put in the average of the first seven years. So the company averages the first seven years and then going forward, and that'll satisfy the seven pay test. So that is why we take an extensive amount of time and we actually talk through with people about their current cash flow, any increase in cash flow from uh, passive um, cash flowing things like investments or rental property, or if they anticipate an exit from a, a business, if they anticipate selling some property, if they anticipate an inheritance, if they anticipate increase in income, such as this happens often where a person is raising their children, but the wife says, I'm going to stay home. It happens a couple of times with men, but mostly with the wife. Wife says, I want to stay home until the kids get into school and then I'm going to go back to work. Well, that's an increase of cash flow. And we take all this in consideration to try to maximize the PUA riders. All right. The final thing I want to show on this is actually a little illustration that I do. If you think real estate is an asset, which you should think it is an asset, if it's producing income, and it's an asset that you're paying down if it's your personal res resident, then think about that being like the base policy. So your, your whole life contract is an asset, just like your home is an asset. So you're making a payment to that house every month. And if you have a mortgage on it, you know that most of that payment actually goes to interest rather than going to uh, the equity and paying it down. The same thing happens with the base contract. Most of the payment is going towards the cost of the insurance. and your cash value builds very slowly. So the, think of your asset of your whole life being like your asset of real estate. Then think of your term rider insurance as being your homeowner's insurance, your home insurance, because your term insurance ensures that you're going to be able to grow this tax-free. Well, your homeowner's insurance ensures that your house is protected also. So it's both a protection type situation. And then finally, the level P premium paid up additions, right, or PUAs, think of that as like building an addition, a paid up addition to your house. So if you pay up the addition to your house, in this case, it was 57000 $659. So let me restate this. You use cash. You use cash, $57,659 to put an addition onto your house. In the whole life, you're using it to put an additional insurance onto your contract. Well, just like you put addition onto your house, the house will be worth more. So a bank will actually lend you against the increased value in your, in your home. When you buy paid up insurance, you're paying more into the contract, you increase your death benefit, and now you have that additional collateral where the insurance company will actually allow you to borrow against your cash value because you have additional collateral of death benefit going forward. So those are the three components, and policy design is affected in these three components by the liquidity, by the protection aspect on the term, and by the PUA being able to get, get you some good early cash value. Okay, I'm going to stop there, Cole. I know you probably had some observation and, uh, or any other questions that you know that uh, other people have come into our meetings about. Yeah, I I really like this 
house illustration, the simple um, explanation you give, I think it really resonates with a lot of real estate owners and anyone who owns a house, even if they just have one primary house with no rentals. I think it it um, really illustrates, gives gives a real life example to conceptualize this this concept. So I think you did a great job there. Uh, Don on YouTube was saying the PUA is like a carport. So similar, similar thing. Um, mm-hmm. With any addition to your house, obviously the value will rise and you can um, get more avail- money available to you to go do other things. But uh, nothing else outside of that, I think. I just love that example. Yeah, great. Thanks. Yeah, I saw Don. Don, thanks for commenting. If anybody else has any questions or comments, we 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 would appreciate it. Okay, now what I'd like to go is because there's a lot of discussion on the internet, social media, sensationalism, talking about a 1090 policy, 10% base and 90 is the only way you should do it. And if anybody else is doing it differently like this, then you're doing it wrong. Anybody else? That selling this is the only reason they're selling it is because they want to get more commissions because there is a greater amount paid on the base commissions. But as I've stated many times on the podcast, when you pull one lever in an actuarial insurance product, another lever moved. So I agree with uh, the sensationalized statement that if you have a higher base, the insurance agent is going to get paid more. I'm not disagreeing with that. But the but there is a reason why they get paid more. One th- the thing is they have an increase in guaranteed insurance. So that's one thing. So you're getting a benefit from that. You're also getting a benefit from the insurance company because now we have a longer term lack of liquidity. So the premium uh, from the base will actually kick off a higher dividend. And and I'm going to prove that to you here in just a second. I've talked about this a lot. Dividend calculations are proprietary with every company. So you can, you do not, they will not release how they calculate it. However, they will t- tell you the relationship uh, with the premium and the base death benefit. And And we, knowing this knowledge, we can extrapolate out how they calculate to some extent. So the first thing I want you to notice with Dave here, he had a 40% base policy. And his dividend was projected at $10,927. So that is the annual dividend. Now, once again, I'd like to say the way dividends are calculated is proprietary, but in general, it's the profits of the company. So what, are, what happens is the premiums brought in to the insurance company, they put those to work. And, and about 75% of the hundreds is mortgage and about another, I'm sorry, not mortgage, um, Bonds and about another 10% is mortgage backed securities. So they're very interest rate driven, very interest rate driven. So then they try to make money and then they have costs. They have home office costs as far as the actual building, they have personnel costs, they have costs to have agents uh, present the, present the, uh, the products and the agents get paid a commission. And then the biggest cost is mortality cost. When people die, they pay out death benefit. So they try to minimize all three of all four of those costs. And then they figure out what revenue they made, they subtract the costs, they come up with a profit. The profit then, all the good companies, what they do is they distribute the profit in the form of a dividend, and they keep a small part of the profit back into their reserves because that helps their ratings and, and make sure that they're strong there for their future promises. So they distribute the profits to the 
the policyholders. Why? Because they're part owners of the company. That's why a mutual company that's participating. What does participating mean? Participating means you're participating in the profits of the company. So in this case, Dave is was projected to make $10,927. Now his cash value doesn't grow by $10,927 because there are costs within the contract. And the biggest cost is the insurance cost. The, the next thing I want you to look at is we have a column here that's called increase in net cash value. So in year number five, when Dave makes a $100,000 premium payment, his cash value grows by $103,278. So all the, all the way when, when Nelson says to think long-term, in Dave's case, the long-term is about year five, where he's going to actually be making more money than he actually puts into the contract. And then if you look out into the future where you compare and say, hey, where do I now have all the money available that I put in? It would be in year 10. And year 10, he would have $1,052,432 of his $1 million that he put in. Now, this is just a projection. This is a snapshot in time, okay? This doesn't mean it's the way it's going to happen. I'm going to tell you, the only thing is certain is it's not going to be like this. But I want all the listeners to think about this. Think about it logically and extrapolate this out. If we have been in the longest sustained low interest rate environment, and these dividends are actually projected based upon that year's low dividend environment, and then they take that low dividend environment and they project it until age 121. And we're actually in an environment now where the Federal Reserve, at the time of this recording, has increased short-term rates to over 5%. And they're talking about still increasing them. Insurance companies are going to easily be more profitable into the future easily because now they have their bonds and their mortgage products that are going to be kicking out a lot more than they thought when they made these dividend projections. So if you can get in now, now is the greatest time to get in because you're, you're going to be have an illustration that is going to be based on a lower interest rate environment. And the insurance companies are slow to react. So either next year or the year after, they're going to start increasing their dividends as long as we have sustained uh, interest rate environments, which I believe we're going to. Thus, those dividends are going to compound because you're going to get a greater dividend. And then the next year, you're going to get a dividend on those dividends and so on and so forth. So it's a great time to get into these contracts because they're based upon it a lower dividend environment. Okay. For all you guys that are listening, instead of watching on um, YouTube right now, remember Dave put $100,000 in and his dividend was $10,927. Now, this is, this is how we built this for him. Now, I'd like to go to, I'm going to stop sharing, and I'd like to go to what the Nelson Nash Institute considers policy design. So this is right from the handbook. It says, this, che this checklist is a guide to questions that every NNI practitioner should consider when designing a policy for the client in the spirit of infinite banking. Some general guidelines for overall insurance requirements may be included. So the first thing you have to do is remember the five tenets. Think long-term. Don't be afraid to capitalize. Don't steal the peas. You finance everything you, uh, that you uh, have. You either give it up interest or you pay interest, and then you need to rethink your thinking. So in general, the policy design meets 
the client's demonstrated needs for coverage based upon a needs analysis for the for a needs-based practice. If not, what was the proper amount recommended? Now, a good a good insurance agent has to take the best interest of the client into consideration. The best interest is not necessarily what the client thinks they need. The client needs to be educated because they don't know what they don't know. So you need to make sure they know the repercussions of certain policy design. The second part may be the most important part. Can the client afford the premiums, including the base premium, the foundation of the policy? Notice what it says right there. Base premium is the foundation of the policy. And then also the PUAs. What I've heard a lot of is people say, well, the reason we, we tell people to do 1090 isn't just because you get a lot of cash value. It isn't just because we were trying to keep the cost down and we're such great people that we don't want to get paid for insurance policies. It's because they say this way, the person, if they get into trouble, they don't, they can only make the, the base amount of the premium. And I would say, in general, that's great, but have you asked enough questions to make sure that they can make the base and the PUA payment without any catastrophic change in their system? What I've noticed with most people that are um, talking about the 1090 and saying, well, yeah, but we do this because that way, if they can only pay the base, they can easily pay the base. It, there's no discussions with the client about their financial picture, and they're not actually diving deep into, into their finances to see if they can even afford the base policy. We, uh, Cole and I just had a person um, last week, I'm sorry, it was earlier this week, who called us. He has not even had his policy for one year. And it is a 10, 10% base policy. He's calling us for help. I didn't ask him this, but I, I don't know why he's calling us because we did not sell him the policy. But he says he would like help with this. And I presume it's because he's not getting any service from the people that actually set up the policy. And that's what I found with people that call us is, yeah, it's easier to sell this 1090 because it's just a little bitty base. and just get going with it. It's going to be great for you. And then they never hear from them again. So who's it really good for? Is it good for you or good for the person that doesn't have to do much work? You just got to keep all these things in consideration. So the next part says, you know, how many years can a client reasonably fund the ongoing premiums? Now, remember, Nelson says, don't be afraid to capitalize and you, your capital has to sit somewhere. So not, why not here? How long is the client intending to fund the base premium? So it might be a case where they're getting closer to retirement. They decide they want to retire. They're not going to have as much income from coming in. So you might decide to stop paying after a certain time period, or you may allow the, the, um, the values to pay the base. So there's a lot of different ways the base can get paid. It can get paid from your own cash flow. It can get paid from dividends. It can get paid from surrendering values. So you can surrender a portion of your, your death benefit to pay for the premium. So there's a variety of ways that you can pay the base uh, part of the policy. The next part that Nelson Nash Institute says that the policy design and the illustration for the client indicate a mech at any point. This is really important. We also have people that come to us and these policies do show that they're a mech. So you have to make sure that you're not a mech. And if it is the client aware of what could cause a mech in the future with this particular policy design. If you have a 1090 policy design and you are surrendering part of the PUAs and you have a lot of PUAs, 
uh, that can affect it. Or if you're just withdrawing money instead of taking in a loan, that can actually lower the uh, insurance enough that could cause a potential mech into the future. Now, there's ways to get around that. You just simply don't do the action. You know, you don't take you don't take the policy loan. You don't you don't surrender the values. You don't withdraw. But then it's not working the way you thought it was going to work. And then finally, does the client understand that how much they fund in the premium on an ongoing basis has a clear impact on their results and that every premium paid by the client has a direct impact on the future of the potential dividends that they can receive for the life of the policy? That is really, really powerful because I've seen what has happened is people say, oh, just do this and fund this policy. They never see them again. And they don't understand that after 10 years, because all they've been paying is the base and maybe the term and maybe a little PUA. And they say, wait a minute, I thought I was going to have a lot more cash value at this time. And so they have to understand that this is not a magic instrument. You actually have to capitalize. I keep going back to that. Don't be afraid to capitalize. That's where you get the cash value. Think long-term. We live in a social media monstrosity right now that everybody is trying to teach everybody how to get rich quick, including using your cash value to go buy real estate. And that's how you're going to get rich quick. We encourage you to use your cash value for financing, and we encourage you to use your cash value for investments, but you really need to think long-term. Real estate is actually a long-term play, and because and, I own real estate. The two ways it's long-term is from appreciation of value, but it, it, doesn't, go from, it doesn't go up by 50% after one year. It steadily goes up two, three, if you're lucky. Five, six percent. And then you're paying the equity down. So you're building up a net worth there. And then finally, rents will go up. But rents can only go up once a year. If that, you may not even be able to raise the rent because you'll, you've made a cost analysis about losing that particular, um, particular renter. Okay. So I just wanted to make everybody sure that they understood the guidelines. And then I have one final thing that I'd like to go over today. Cole, any questions or anything that you think we ought to be talking about? Uh, no, nothing in particular. I thought uh, Fritz on YouTube made another good comparison that I hadn't heard before. He said, um, squeezing, squeezing down your foundation or base, it's like having your house foundation built on sand. Right, A foundation is there to support the additional components. It's there to keep the house long-term, keep the policy going long-term. Um, so why would you build a shaky foundation? I thought that was a, a very good comparison that I, I hadn't thought of before. Thank you, Fritz. I, I agree. And Fritz is a long-term listener and contributor, and we really appreciate him. Okay. On the screen now is my wife, who almost three years ago, we decided that um, her, her term policy was actually um, being ready to lapse. So before it lapsed, we decided that we were going to uh, convert it to another policy. And this conversion was automatic. All we had to do was sign a piece of paper that we wanted to do it. And we said, take the $300,000 of death benefit from the term and actually convert it to a whole life contract. And I decided that for my vision, throughout the industry and, and the study of Austrian economics and what the Federal Reserve was going to do, that the Federal Reserve was going to have to raise interest rates. And I wanted to capture that increase because I saw what happened in the early 80s with dividends um, actually doubling along that process. So I thought, hey, this is a way to get 100% return on my money without taking much risk. You, the only the only risk you have is that it doesn't happen because on the guaranteed side, which is the non the non dividend side, there's no risk, and on the dividend side, the only risk is that 
it wouldn't happen. You wouldn't, you wouldn't get the dividend. And all the companies we work with have paid dividends for almost, well, the, uh, the lowest is 118 years and the highest is 176 years. So what I did was I extrapolated this out compared to the Dave Irvin um, illustration we used earlier. So the, the company told us if you wanted to do an all base for 300,000, it was going to take contract premium of 18,994 a year. Now here's the biggest problem with this type. And I'm not, I am not saying that this is an IBC type policy. Okay. It does follow some of the guidelines because one of the guidelines is that I understand everything that's going on in this, obviously. And I've decided that I am going to use this to think long range. So, but notice that where Dave had access to 56% of his money within 30 days, I have access to only $129 after 30 days of almost $19,000 of premium. And then at the end of that year, they're projecting a $4,350 annual dividend and my net cash value is $4,479. So as a percentage, that is only about 22% of the total premium instead of Dave's was 66%. So it's one third of the liquidity that Dave has. However, if you were to extrapolate this and, and take the contract premium, so this is Dave's contract is 5.24% more than this one. So to extrapolate it out, if we were putting $100,000 a year in this, the dividend would be 22,794. Remember Dave's dividend was only 10,927. So this is more than twice the dividend that you would get. Why is that? Because as I said at the very beginning, safety, liquidity, and growth. We're, we're accepting less liquidity so that we can get a higher dividend, higher growth. But here's the kicker, Cole, and I think we talked about this before. Now, any increase, I want everybody to listen to this, any increase now of interest rates and dividends going go up on this particular design the dividend will be impacted more because it's a greater percentage of the base. And I think, I hope this explains that to you because the base would have produced 22,794 were in Dave's at 40%. It was 10,927. I'm not saying what Dave did wrong. Obviously we did Dave. Dave was looking to buy and using it for his cash flow on his real estate and his farm. So he wanted a little bit more cash flow. I have six of these contracts. I didn't need the cash flow. So I decided to, one, not give up the death benefit because the death benefit's really important to my wife and I. And secondly, we wanted to have capture the increase of dividends into the future. So now let's do the same test. Let's do the same test. So when does the increase when you put in your um, when you put in your premium that year? When does your cash value increase? Remember, with Dave's, it was in year five. In this contract, if you look at it here, it's really close in year six, eighteen nine nine four to eighteen four four two. So. It's going to happen sometime between year six and seven. So really, we've given up maybe a year, 18 months of liquidity. We give up a lot of liquidity in the first couple years, but it catches up very, very quickly. So if you could think long term, then you think you can actually capture dividend growth in the future. Now, let's go to year where the cumulative premium equals what you put in, and that would be basically year 13. We put in 246,922, and we're within 117,000 of the total. 
So if you remember, Dave's was in year 10. Ours is going to be within year 13. So, yes, are we giving up a couple of years of liquidity? Absolutely. However, we will actually outperform Dave's design when interest rates sustain and when the insurance companies actually increase dividends. Because now the dividends will be compounding and we will catch up a lot quicker. So, once again, we do not have the ability to look at the proprietary way that insurance companies calculate dividends, but we can extrapolate it based upon the, and, the and similar, Just like we can't, um, like Coca Cola or you know, dividend paying stocks, they won't give you the exact formula of how they're paying dividends, but everyone understands they're paying them and it's you know, fair based on the market. Yeah, that's that's a that's a great that's a great point, Cole. Because one of the things that people say, well, I don't want to do a whole life because they're not transparent. And I say to you, well, there's a lot of lack of transparency for proprietary things. You know, I'm I'm uh, looking out the window right now, and it's really hot here in St. Louis, and the air conditioning is going out all over the place, and there's an air conditioning van outside, and there's proprietary ways that they get service. They pay for it. They pay for the units. They don't tell you that they pay X amount for the unit units and then mark it up and then, and then sell it to you. All that stuff was proprietary. They're not telling you all that. So, but yet you buy an air conditioning unit and you don't say, well, I'm not buying air conditioning because they don't tell me every single, you know, expense that they have and that, all the profit that they make. So, I don't know why this happens with whole life other than I do believe the IUL community, which actually, because it's got some indexes in it, they have a different regulatory thing so that they have to, to put out the cost of the insurance and the fees and so on and so forth. One of the reasons they have to put out the fees is because they're pretty onerous at times and they want people to understand what, what the risk factors are. So all these play into it. So, Cole, I'm going to finish up here. Is there anything from any questions or anything that you want to uh, wrap up today? Um, no other questions. Just one last thought. I think um, showing the illustrations are, are very good, but I think it's all, all to put the focus on you know the five tenets Nelson Nash um, put together, which the two, the first two, think long range and don't be afraid to capitalize, I think are the two biggest emphasis of today. If you can think long range and capitalize your policy well, obviously based on the illustrations, um, you will have no problem with liquidity and you will have a lot more available to you. Very good. And the last thing, like I said, like I said, if you have a 1090 policy, congratulations. I mean, I'd rather you have a 1090 policy than no whole life insurance. Um, I would just like to say that that's not an IBC policy. I don't care what they call it. That's not an IBC policy. It's just a whole life policy designed so that you can get maximum cash value right away. And it has some pros and cons. Um, the cons, in our opinion, according to the Nelson Nash Institute, actually outweigh the pros. The pros are from short-term thinking. And that can really hurt you into the future. So just take that in consideration. If you like this, once again, please share our podcast, share the YouTube video, uh, hit the subscribe and the notification button. We really appreciate all the support since, 2000, since 2017, and we'll continue to uh, provide this for you. So thanks for listening today. And remember that success leaves clues, models the successful few and not the crowd, and build a life and business you, you, that you love. Thank you. And until next time, have a great day. Discover the secret of how to earn a return on the same money in two places at the same time so that you can strengthen your investment returns. We've created a free guide for you that explains the top three things every investor needs their privatized banking system to do. Go to themoneyadvantage.com slash banking, put in your name and primary email address, click the send my free guide button right now and we'll see you on the inside.
Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on themoneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated Member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and Investment Advisory Services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated and Registered Investment Advisor, both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.